First thing is first, I got to give a shout out to you, Jeff Benedict, for stepping up, coming in there and teaching us about how this business operates, the things that we need to learn, making us do very uncomfortable things like record ourselves, listen to ourselves, critique ourselves, and making it somewhat comfortable. I really do appreciate it. I thank you a lot. And some people might be saying, oh, he, he's brown nosing the teeth. No, 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 no. I really do appreciate it. That's from the heart. You made class a lot of fun. And, I mean, talking sports is always fun in general. But you made class fun. We were in there a long time. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you for that. And without further ado, let's get this final T-Sims podcast rolling. You, ladies and gentlemen, are now tuned in to the T-Sims podcast, the final installment of the T-Sims podcast. And today is May the 5th, baby, Cinco de Mayo. But uh, when you take procrastination as as prideful and as skillful as I do, now you're stuck with priorities. Instead of partying, I've got things that I've got to take care of, like a beautiful and well-developed podcast for you all to enjoy. And there's somebody else in mind that is procrastinating and he plays for the Atlanta Hawks and that man is Kyle Korver. He looks he looks to me like a wounded seal flopping around in the ocean and J.R. Smith is just a shark in the water. Korver is is an absolute decoy. He's not doing a thing. He's just out there uh just, you know, wasting space pretty much. It it lo- he looks tough. He looks tough it's it's a completely different player from 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 two years ago but new guy new guy might as well change the uniform it's a completely different guy he's a non-factor it's over but to backtrack game one started off really shaky for the hawks it did and let me set the record straight i am not a hawks fan i'm not really I'm more of an NBA fan. I enjoy the sport of basketball. I'm just a spectator who analyzes the game. My heart's not in it. So let me state that first before going into this. But game one, the Hawks, they played okay. They played okay. You know, the Cavs got out to to a decent lead, but the Hawks showed that they can fight and that they're willing to try and get back into the games when there's adversity. They 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 try their best to get back into it, and which they did. And I believe they tied it up late in the game. I think they may have even gained a gained the lead, and then ultimately the Cavs Cavs took it away, and and ended up winning the game 104 to 93 in Game One. They the Hawks just it, they're not good starters and they're not good finishers. So if that's the case. You know you're not gonna you're not gonna win anything really in the in in the NBA, and so moving on from game one, you go to game two, which if you're a Hawks fan, you do not want to hear about game two at all in the slightest. Um, that was an absolute routing. That was that was really hard to watch. I'm not even a hockey guy at all in the slightest, and I had to go flip it over and watch hockey because that wasn't even that wasn't even entertaining. I mean the Cavs at the end of the game were shooting up. The water boy, the towel boy, they were all going out. And they were still hitting threes, might I add, as the Cavs hit a uh, NBA record in the postseason, 25 threes 
in the absolute blowout 123 to 98 victory over the Atlanta Hawks. J.R. Smith is playing like a man amongst boys as he did last year in the playoffs against the Hawks. You know, he's just, he can put a blindfold on and just let it rip and that ball will go down. Um, They're finding ways to get him the ball and he's their sniper and, and he's proving why he's there. And he's a big role for that team to hit those threes and they rely a lot on him and, and he's been doing just that. But he hit seven threes as they, to help the Cavs record the 25 threes, uh, the record there. And I thought it was pretty funny, though, because the, the Hawks on their social media Twitter account, you know, they put the Cavs score up, but they also, on their score, put the crying Jordan face, which is funny, you know, take humor, use humor to, to heal the pain. But based on these two games, there's going to be a lot of pain uh, for the Atlanta Hawks. And I said it before game two, honestly, I thought this game, it's going to be a blowout. This whole series is going to be an absolute blowout as the number one seed. The Cavaliers, they protected their home court. They protected the home court. That's what they're supposed to do as the number one seed. And, you know, going back to Atlanta, I don't see much of I don't see much of a fight left in the Hawks after that game. They 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 gave all their fight back coming back in game one. I don't think they have much left in the tank. I don't think they really won it. They were so out of it in game two the other night that Baysmore was just over there taking a snoozer on the on the bench. And I don't think there's really anything you can say as a coach to try and get your team pumped up. That's one of those things where you just go, you fly home and you don't even mention it to act like it didn't happen. Act like you're waking up from a bad dream and you just don't even have to, uh, to think about it or, and just approach, you know, approach it as a new day. Don't even, you got to get that out of your head quickly. And I mean, the cat looking, looking at the Cavs, you know, they got the sweep on the Pistons. They could easily get the sweep on the Hawks. And I think they could sweep the next round too. Honestly, they could sweep, all the way through, all the way through the Eastern Conference Finals, and make it to the finals. I believe they'll be playing the Spurs, and they could get swept in the finals. The Cavs, that is, they could sweep all the way up through the Eastern Conference Finals, get to the finals. They're sweeping everybody, and then in the finals, the Cavs could get swept. That's really how I'm looking at it. Um, but but the Cavs are playing. They're playing good basketball, and I and I saw since they have the record now, a reporter. Uh, was asking LeBron after the game in the post game about how you know everybody's talking about the Warriors being a three point shooting team, and they pretty much now set the stage as a three point shooting team. And I agree with what LeBron had to say. I don't think that the Cavs are a three point shooting team. I think they are a team that shoots three pointers. And what I mean by that is when you watch the Warriors play. To me, they they their their main shot is a three. Their main shot is a three. They they can look to get three pointers. That's what they do. They have a bunch of sprayers out on the floor. A few passes here. They can create their own shot. When I watch the Cavs play, it looks to me like LeBron is getting the ball. Everybody is collapsing on him when he's going to the paint, and then it's just a quick kick. And, and they're out there ready to shoot, and they can shoot, and so that's what I mean by that. Their their, their first look is not to shoot a three pointer like I think the the Warriors are. The Cavs really try to get the ball into the paint, bully you down low, and when they can't do that, they kick it out. Everybody's collapsing on the best player in LeBron James, and he can kick it out. Same with Kyrie. Kyrie moves the ball, little shifty, gets down in there, bada bing, bada boom, kick it out, 
K-Love, give you a little pump fake, step over, and he'll hit it. J.R. Smith, as he's proven throughout the series and uh, throughout the season, he's going to hit it. And if you're just now joining us, we're talking Hawks, Cavs, uh, playoff series. And like I was saying, it's not looking good at all for the Atlanta Hawks. When when if the Cavs are shooting bad, which they haven't been this entire series, although I don't, they're they're never gonna repeat what they did in Game Two. Uh, that's that I can tell you for sure. They're not gonna shoot like that uh, the rest of the series, probably out through the rest of the entire uh, uh, playoffs. But if they're having a if they're having an off night, they still got TT Double T Tristan Thompson down there, the guy that they overpaid for. But he proved last year in the playoffs and this year in the playoffs thus far that he is going to be a force on the offensive glass. I mean, he got them seven rebounds, seven offensive rebounds. I mean, he's a monster. He's a monster down there. So, you know, they shoot it. Cavs will shoot. You know, miss. Tristan comes down with it. Kick it out. Shoot it. You know, they can miss again. And Tristan's going to get it again. And when you get three cracks at a basket in the NBA, you're, you're going to make it. And the Hawks are just... They're outmatched in every facet of basketball at this point. And it's not looking good for them at all. And they're going to get swept. They're going to get swept. I guess, you know, they have a slight advantage going back to Atlanta and getting the home court. But I don't think the crowd's going to be in it. I think that everybody in Atlanta pretty much knows that this series is is, is wrapped up. And there's really nothing they can do about it. So I think that the Cavs will end up and going to play the heat and the heat i think that's gonna be i mean that's fun you're gonna have lebron james going against d wade i think that's really cool i think that's a good storyline that'll be fun to watch them play but the heat are going through some things and you know with with bosh and this whole blood clot situation you know it's really scary and it's sad because you can see the fight and 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 what bosh is trying to do to get back on the floor you know bosh asking the nbpa the to try and address the situation so that he can get back on the floor and help his team and try and will them to victory uh, he just wants to be out there man he's just doing everything he can to get out there and i know that the heat shut him down but you know it, it does it does me well to know that somebody out there is really trying to get on the floor with his team and try and get them through the playoffs man i think i have a lot of respect for that I, you know i i know the heat have to they, they they can't let him play they can't let him play man because if something happens to him out there you know that's a that's a bad look for the Heat organization, and they're going to be held accountable for it. And so you just got to tone that situation down until until they find out what's going on with him. But when we come back from commercial break, find out which player in the NBA that I have a problem with. You know, with Bosch dealing with the things he does, trying to get on the court. Find out the guy that I have a problem with, who I think's weak on the court. Coming up here in a bit. So before the break, I was talking a little bit about a player, a certain NBA player that left a sour taste in my mouth the way that they went out of the playoffs, and he plays for the Clippers. That man is Blake Griffin, and I know that their their team, when they were playing Portland, you know, they just, unlucky circumstances, they got, you know, Chris Paul and Blake gets injured. You know, Chris Paul broke his hand, he has surgery, so I get that, but Blake Griffin with uh, the injury said strained quad and he's immediately ruled out you know i mean i can't attest i I don't know how bad the injury actually was 
but strained quad. But for that story to even be released, I would have to be nudging the guy who's released the story like, hey, man, tell him that I like uh, broke my femur or something. That There's no absolute no way I can go like that just sounds like you've given up to me. I'm sure that your Kia has some type of, of massage therapeutic mechanism that can, you know, work that thing out. I'm, I, as a teammate of Blake Griffin, I would be infuriated that, it, you know, listen, you got a strained quad. There's hyperbaric chambers and things that are in this locker room that's, that we can do to get you ready. And uh, they needed him. They needed him. Without Chris Paul, they they, they didn't, you know, it was winding down. Without Blake Griffin, it's over. And so, you know, you see the other players on that team kind of step up, and Austin Rivers comes out there with a softball-sized eye with this huge gaping cut over it, and he's still doing interviews, talking, still out there playing the game. To me, it just looked like Blake Griffin gave it up, and ultimately their team, you know, they, they didn't have enough. They didn't have enough, and they couldn't get by Portland. Although over there in the Western Conference, I think that it's going to end up being the Spurs as dusty as they are. Uh, well, I can't say, I. you know, let me retract that statement. They do have some dust to that team, but they did add LaMarcus Aldridge, David West, and Kawhi the Young Buck. You know, he's been there, but he is young, and so he's playing at a high level. Aldridge is playing at an extremely high level, so it's given a, it's given a chance to let old Timmy boy over there get some rest, and, you know, they're going to be, they're a force to be reckoned with, so you're going to see them over there for me, I believe, in the Western Conference Finals, along with uh, the Warriors, obviously. And, you know, the Warriors, they, they really want, they really want Curry out there with them, but they don't necessarily need him out there with them until they get to the Western Conference Finals to face the Spurs because they're playing at such a high level and they're such great shooters. I think they're going to be fine, and I wouldn't risk any type of injury trying to bring Curry back too soon. You risk an injury to him, and you're in some trouble if you have to play the Spurs because I think the Spurs have the edge in that matchup against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. I just think they do. I think that they outmatch them. Obviously, the Warriors are a better shooting team, but time and time again, the Spurs have proven that technical basketball is always the best way to get it done. And when you bring up when you bring up the Spurs, I forgot to mention this a little bit earlier, but when you bring up the Spurs, and if you're just now joining, we're talking about the Spurs, and I'm getting into what happened with them the other night when Dion Waiters, you know, comes over the line at the inbound late game, very late in the game, comes over and kind of gives Manu Ginobili a little brush over the face with his forearm. Clearly, Manu's touched. You know, I don't really think there was much of a flop involved, but there's a no call there. And then they go ahead and inbound. You know, I know that they ended up getting the ball back, and but but still. You know, that's six six seconds or whatever that they had. That could have been their ball immediately and, and given them a shot to try and win that game. And so I found that to be extremely, extremely weird that there, that there was no a no call. There was nothing done, you know, just a, just a blatant no call. And then there was another no call at the end in Game 7 with the Raptors and the Pacers when Paul George goes to throw up the the lob to try and throw the little oop down at the at, at the end of the game to uh, Ian Mahimney for the Pacers 
there was a no call there. And I don't know what it is with these refs missing the calls late, late, late in the game. Maybe they just, you know, they don't want a foul to be the deciding factor of of a game, you know, you know what I'm you know, it's just like in, in football, they're not going to throw pass interferences on a Hail Mary. It just doesn't happen. So maybe that late game, they don't want a foul to be the reason that teams do this and that, yada, yada, yada. But when you see a foul, you've got to call a foul and they're missing it. And the referees are coming out and openly stating, Hey, you know, guys, we messed up. This is a call that we missed and we'll do our best. And, you know, yada, yada, yada. But every single job that I've worked for and everybody else who works, you know, a regular nine to five job, when you make mistakes, there's consequences to be paid for. And so I'm asking this question to the listeners because I have no idea what the process is or what happens to these refs when they come out and they say, hey, we've made a mistake. You know, what happens to them when they say, oh, here it is, we've made a mistake. And I have no idea. So if you would, you can comment and maybe explain that to me. But I have you know, I, I don't know what happens to them, and they're coming out and admitting that they're missing these calls, and so you know something needs to be done. This ne- it needs to be addressed. But you know that's beside the point. Uh, getting a little bit off track, just thinking about the referees and, and the calls that they're missing, and uh, you know they're not making the correct calls at the end of very important games, and so that's something that I do think needs to be pointed out and addressed. Uh, but to get back on track, I think that D. Wade is going to be playing LeBron. Heat versus Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals. And over in the Western Conference Finals, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, I think, clear-cut Warriors-Spurs, in which I think the Spurs are going to end up taking that victory. Um, you know, when Curry comes back, I think that there's going to be – he's going to have to get back in rhythm. I don't think that you can come back – you know, missing two weeks and just having light shoot-arounds. I don't think that you can come back and, and be – he will be effective. So don't don't take this the wrong way, but less effective. He's not going to be the same Curry that we saw all season. And so by the time that he gets back into the groove of things, I think that it's going to be too late for them. And so I think that it's going to be the Spurs versus Cleveland. And I don't think it's going to work out well for LeBron at all, man. I really wish that it would. I really wish that it would, uh, but I don't think it's going to work out for him. And I think, like I said before, the Cavs could seriously sweep first, second, and third round and then get swept in the finals. And that's just that's just how I think it's going to go as far as basketball goes. I think Tim Duncan's going to get one, and then he might go. He might leave just like Kobe did. And that's just how I, that's how I see this thing panning out. I think Popovich and the Spurs are going to hold up a uh, – Hold up another trophy for them. But we are going to take a short commercial break here. And when we return, find out the tweet heard around the world. Stay tuned. Right before the commercial break, we're talking about a tweet heard around the world. This tweet was seen by millions of people. The tweet actually got retweeted more than Kobe Bryant on his retirement night when he was saying, you know, thank you for everybody. This tweet was bigger than that. And it was by the man, the myth, the legend, Conor McGregor, where he stated that he was going to retire from UFC right before UFC 200 was supposed to take place, where he was going to rematch Nate Diaz uh, to try and to try and get some of his dignity back. I mean that 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 loss hit him hard. You know, he was the heavy favorite the first time that they fought, and I don't really feel sorry for. 
for Conor McGregor because originally he was supposed to fight some guy with the belt. That guy got injured. He couldn't do it. And so they called Nate Diaz. And Nate Diaz took the fight on 11 days notice. When he when he got the phone call from Dana White to fight Conor McGregor, who's the biggest name in the UFC, Nate Diaz was on a boat in Mexico drinking Corona. Okay, so he he wasn't ready for this fight. And McGregor, I, I realized that, that he had to go bump up in weight and all that, and he's not used to fighting, but there's no excuses for losing the fight the first time because Diaz took it on 11 days' notice, and he was drinking when he got the phone call. He was like, yeah, man, I'll take it, you know, just like a typical Nate Diaz thing to do. And so he did that. McGregor ends up losing the fight, okay? It was a big upset. It was a huge deal. So now Diaz is excited about the rematch. Well... McGregor goes and tweets that he's going to retire. It turns out that it was all over, you know, PR stuff. You know, McGregor wanted to train in, in Iceland to take this fight. He doesn't want to have to keep traveling back and forth and back and forth to do all of this media stuff that is required by Dana White, the president of the UFC. And I do, to an extent, agree with McGregor. You know, he is such a big name in the UFC when he tweets something or he posts something on his social media, that is enough promotion for the fight. You know, a lot of people in the UFC don't have that luxury. Uh, they need to be at this PR stuff. They're not as big of a name, but McGregor can do, you know, he could he could tweet anything. Dana White could say, hey, man, tweet this out. And, you know, he could do that to help promote the fight and everybody would see it. He doesn't actually have to be in the seat giving responses to the media and i understand that however if there is a contractual agreement i think that mcgregor needs to abide by those rules if he signs a contract he needs to be there for the pr stuff you know that is that is what he has to do so anyway anyway he says that he retires so now there's no there is no there's nobody for that spot to fight Diaz. Well, Diaz says, well, if McGregor's not fighting, I'm not going to fight. Why would I do that? Because McGregor, you know, he provides a huge paycheck for these guys. There's not another guy out there in the UFC right now that would be able to get Diaz a paycheck like McGregor could. And so, you know, I understand that. McGregor has already lost. Diaz has already beat him. You know, Diaz is at the top of the world. The only fight that Diaz actually wants is the rematch with McGregor, and if you're just joining us, we're talking we're talking UFC 200 and everything that's gone down. Um, so Diaz doesn't want to fight anymore. McGregor then comes back and says, you know, I apologize, you know, yada yada yada. I'm ready to fight. Thank you, Dana White, for allowing me to fight and all of this. And he just kind of said that there was no, there wasn't, there it had no weight to it. Dana White never actually said that, and this is what I agree with Dana White on. And this is the fight that everybody wants to see. Everybody wants to see the rematch, and that 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 fight is going to make a lot of money on pay per view. But Dana White is not going to let McGregor make the rules, and that is what I agree with. You know. 
Dana White is the president of the UFC. If he were to let McGregor come back in after starting all this hoopla about is he retiring? Well, I'm not going to fight because of this PR stuff. And then he comes back and says, oh, I, I'm back, you know, show's on. Like, hold on, man. You know, you're, you're the big time, but you're not the president. I, I'm the president. So Dana White's not going to let him fight, and he's already um, – Made the fight John Jones versus Daniel Cormier for UFC 200, which is going to be a good fight. It's not going to be anything that the Nate Diaz McGregor rematch would have been, but it is going to be a good fight. But I just agree, I completely and 110% agree with the decision that Dana made to not let McGregor get back in the card. You know, he, you cannot, McGregor cannot make the rules here, okay? He's not the president, so he cannot, he cannot do that. And that's what I that's where I understand. And I know, like I said, it's the one that everybody wants, but McGregor, you know, you're you're just an employee of, of of Dana. You can't make the rules like that. And so I agree with him there. John Jones, it, it should be it's just a be a good fight. John Jones, Daniel Cormier, you know, they there's there's real blood, there's hatred involved there. That's gonna be a rematch fight in itself. John Jones took the first time they fought in a, in a decision, but there is actual hatred there, so that will be a good fight. But I just thought that it was a real poor decision on McGregor's part to try and do that, to think that he's bigger than, than Dana White and the UFC and all that, and so that's my take on what's going on with UFC 200. And we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, find out what college football head coach is shocked by his former players' wrongdoing. So before the break, I mentioned a college coach who was not very pleased with what one of his former players had to say, and that coach is Hugh Freeze of the Ole Miss Rebels, and um, if you watch the draft even if you didn't watch the draft I'm sure you know about the Laramie Tunzel story and if you don't be my guest because I'm going to go ahead and tell you everything you need to know about what went on with old Laramie Tunzel uh, during the draft and you know it's very funny and comical for the viewers in Tunzel's case it's 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 really messed up um, but Laramie Tunzel was projected to be a top five draft pick in the 2016 NFL draft. And about 13 minutes, I'd say, before the actual draft started, a video surfaced on his Twitter feed of him just absolutely baked, smoking out, out of a... Uh, what is it called? A, a head, a head mask bong, a um, a gas mask, a gas mask bong, and he lifts it up, and he's just giggling, and he's smiling, and it's just as clear as day, it is him. Now, apparently, from what he said, he had no idea that this video had surfaced through his Twitter feed until after he had already been drafted. But like I was saying before, he he was projected to be a top five. The video surfaced, and then, you know, it makes sense that he wouldn't go top five. You know, teams, they wanted him to come on. They wanted him to be a part of their program. 
they see this video, it's already negative publicity for their team. They're going to have to answer questions. They're going to have to immediately do all of this and, and this and that. And so, you know, he gets passed up. He ends up going uh, number 13 in the draft. And, and if you're just joining us, we're talking a little bit about the Laramie Tunzel situation. And so he gets drafted 13th in the draft. And they're saying that he lost between 5 and $8 million in signing bonuses, which is huge. And so... You know, he's still he's still excited. He's happy that he gets drafted, obviously. And he goes up there, and immediately, Dion starts interviewing him and asking him questions about, you know, the video that's come up right before the draft, right before the biggest day of his life. And so, you know, this is the biggest day of his life, probably the biggest day of his family's life. Um, his life is drastically going to change forever. And now he's having to answer questions immediately after being picked about all of this video stuff that, that that's coming up. And so, you know, he, he, he battles through that. I thought he did a very good job of trying to answer the questions and, you know, shield it a little bit uh, with talking about him just being so excited for him and his family and everything he's accomplished and worked hard. And so I get that. And so that was the big story of the draft. It turns out later – after he's already been picked, that through his Instagram account, there were two pictures posted of a text conversation, screenshots of a text conversation of Tunzel asking assistant coaches for money so that he can give his mom can pay her electric electricity bill. And, you know, on the on the picture, you can't it doesn't say who it is. It just says, you know, that, that this is the conversation. This is the conversation that's happening uh, between supposedly Tunzel and an assistant coach. Well, uh, Tunzel also admits to that. And that is what Hugh Freeze is shocked about, of course. And, you know, I say the term shocked very, very, very loosely. Uh, because, you know, personally, I think he knows exactly what the deal was and he knew exactly what's going on. It's just, it's a shame when you get caught, right? And so it, it's a weird situation, you know, and if and if that did go down... It doesn't affect Tunzel at all anymore, but it will affect the program. And I know that it's being looked into. It will affect Ole Miss. And, you know, they're a program that's that's on the come up. They're looking good. They're looking very good. You know, they're playing some good football, and they've had some good players come through there. So, you know, that could really hurt Ole Miss going forward. But, but to look back on the whole um, Tunzel situation – when you really sit back and look at it, it is kind of sad that th this is a, a deliberate attack on this kid. You know, somebody is actually out to get him. I mean, his, his, like, both of his accounts, Twitter and Instagram were hacked and these messages and the, and the video was shown right before the biggest day of his life. So, you know, somebody is out to get him, you know, there's speculation that, um, that it was maybe an ex-agent of his that they got someone to hack the account. I have no idea. All I know is that it's a it was a very it was a tough situation for him. I can tell you that, and he's gonna have to deal with that. Um, as soon as he gets to Miami, he's gonna have to deal with that. Eventually, all of this stuff will blow over. You know, he he took drug tests um, after leaving Ole Miss. And he passed all of those. You know, it's it's just something that is going to take time. Time heals everything. It's going to take some some time. And, you know, he did lose out on some money 
five to eight million in signing bonus, but that that money can be made back up by playing well. So if he goes out there and he plays well, all will be forgotten. Um, but that's all I've got for you for the final podcast. I appreciate it all. Um, thank you so much. And you will not be tuning in next week for the T Sims podcast. T Sims out.